0: And welcome to this week's edition of an organic conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships and life itself. We host Helge Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palomar. Besides the gravy, the potatoes, the cranberry sauce, the biscuits, and green bean casserole, there's one thing that most of us embrace as the ultimate manifestation of home, of comfort, and family when it comes to holiday food, and that is pie. There's something so sweet and loving about pie that we decided to run this special on this very special dessert. And actually, not just a dessert, it is, as we will hear today, the life of pie baking a slice of joy today on An Organic Conversation.
1: Well, you mentioned love in your intro. And for me, pie (laughs) is love. It just really is that simple. You think If you just think for a second, close your eyes, and you think about what attracts you to pie. And you're attracted by the scent, by the sight of the golden crust, by the taste and the feel of the warm fruit or whatever's in the pie in your mouth. And it just encompasses everything. So you get to, first you're attracted to what's on the outside, and then you really get to fall in love with what's on the inside. And Mm -hmm. so for me, (laughs) pie is love. (laughs) Pie is life. Oh, Mark, that is
2: such a sweet sentiment. I have a friend who's a math teacher, and she has a special celebration for pie every year on March 14th, which is three 3.14, 3.14, 1.4, 3.14 is Pi Day. Yeah, it is a new <laughs> <So>, national <laughs> holiday. Yeah, exactly. I know now March it this is, is a your national new holiday. holiday. <laughs>
0: yes, March 14th, Pi Day.
2: And and so what <laughs> oh, she does is so all of her friends make their own pies, and they all come over and. It's just a pie feast. And it's so fun to see how everybody interprets what that means to bring your own pie. Of course, you have your blueberry pie, but then you have somebody bring tomato pie. So it's really fun to look at the different ways that pie can manifest. And that's the thing I'm most excited about hearing. Wow. Today. Oh. Let's, let's make it
0: a national. Can we steal it? Of course. Yeah, okay. So an organic conversation here with declares March 14th, <laughs> 3.14, as Pie Day. National. And we will pie make day. sure the president makes it a national holiday. This is wonderful. <laughs> You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
2: I'm Rani Balamar.
0: And today we are bringing you a slice of joy, the life of pie. Perfectly timed for the holidays and only here on An Organic Conversation.
1: But first, here's the green headline. I was just reading a study from the Harvard School of Public Health and they were saying that Americans really aren't getting as much of the fruits and vegetables that they should probably eat. How many fruit servings of fruits and vegetables do you two eat a day?
2: Oh man <laughs> way to put us on the spot Mark. You. It fluctuates for me. I mean, there are times in my life where I feel like I eat twelve or more servings a day. I know Mark, we were talking at some point you were saying, when you have your evening salad, that's like nine servings. And I found that to be the case. If I eat a big salad during the day, I'm gonna get a lot, but there are certainly days, and I will fess up to this, like this past weekend, I was kind of on a carb trip, <laughs> and I think I only had like three, four, or five servings in a day. Now that's not my that's not my baseline. That's really like a super indulgent weekend, I would say I usually. 12 is probably about my my average, mm-hmm. sometimes more, sometimes less. <laughs>
0: we don't have servings in, in Germany. And I, so the serving thing never, I don't even know what that, and I know what it means theoretically, but I couldn't tell you if a, a big salad as a dinner salad, is that, Four servings or six? Like, well, I, I don't know. About a half how, cup. How, how you, about a half cup of vegetables? But like, do you squeeze your spinach at the bottom of the cup so you know that that layer is one serving? Or is it the volume? I mean, obviously not with the air, but mm-hmm. it's just a tricky. That's why, I, you know, I, I love that the government gives, gives us those generalizations or general guidelines. And yet, if somebody said, eat an apple and a banana and a big salad every day, I think people would be better off, actually. I think people would know what to do rather than, you know, 5 to 12. I mean, that's such a funny number anyway. 12 is almost 3 times 5. Which one is it? Which you
1: still didn't answer the question. Um, He's dodging intentionally because
2: he's on on national radio right now.
1: (laughs) I'm sure I do, Mark. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, C.T., you wanted to comment?
2: Well, I want to because th- that actually raises a really good point because not everybody can conceptualize what a serving is, and my understanding is that one uh, one serving is either one cup of raw vegetable or half a cup of cooked vegetable.
1: Let's see, <laughs> and we're talking about a household measuring cup, and so mm-hmm. if you ever looked at a household eight ounces of of, mm-hmm. of a yeah. cup, it's it's really nothing. So. Helga, going back to your point, though, because the average American gets, and if you don't, if you take potatoes out of this equation, which is a huge thing, they get about two to three a day. And so you're looking at a half of an apple, a half of an orange would be considered a serving, you know, a cup or a half cup of lettuce would be considered a serving. So when you look at a salad that I eat probably for dinner, I'm, you know, I'm looking at at least probably eight or nine servings right there, and that's not counting the fruit I eat every day. But how they do most of the websites that obviously we don't all go and frequent um, do have breakdowns exactly like you're asking for, where it's like if you eat an apple, that's two servings, great, right, a day. And so the interesting part for me is is I couldn't fathom when I read this article, I was saying I can't imagine that I would eat that little a day. I just it's beyond my
0: and I, you know you are mr produce of course i would just, i would be shocked if you didn't because really even when you work you try and you sample and you like you eat produce on an hourly basis so <laughs> well, you are not the classic yeah. example of the average american by far
2: I mean, he's I'd eating say. produce at work, right? Because right. he's he working, he's consulting in these produce, organic produce. departments. That's but that's right. also, he's there all day. So when it's time to go home yeah. for dinner, he can just grab what's there. And I think that that's a big point of what makes this a challenge if we're talking about the whole nation. You know what I mean? We are very fortunate living in California. We've got access to lots of grapefruits and vegetables. We also have really peak flavor because a lot of things are coming locally. They don't need to be picked unripe in order to make it to us on time. So there are a lot of things that we get here that make us very fortunate. But that doesn't mean that people who live in other parts of the country or who don't work in produce Mm. departments can't still eat the same amount of abundant fruits and vegetables. It just takes a little bit more effort, potentially. You can join the CSA. You can have a garden, even if it's a small garden, to grow, you know, some herbs and some cucumbers and peppers or tomatoes, whatever you can, depending on your location. And also, you know, Mark had said to us, he talks about this a lot, if you can develop a relationship with your produce department and, and maybe consider going to a food co-op instead of going to whatever is the mega grocery store in your neighborhood because they like to educate their customers on how to shop. And that's one of the tips that I've found to be most helpful in getting more produce into a person's diet is from, I, I read it first, I think in Michael Pollan, one of Michael Pollan's books where he says, shop on the periphery of a grocery store because that's where all the fresh food is. So that's the first thing I do when I go to a grocery store is I start my shopping in the produce department, not in the aisles with boxed and packaged food. Mm-hmm. And also, I recommend to people, and I've done this with my clients, I did this when I was cooking for them, and this is what I recommend to them too, plan your meals around vegetables, oh, particularly yeah. the seasonal vegetables. <laughs> then I could say, what can I put with this? I can do a pasta, I can do roasted mushrooms, etc., etc. So I think that's a helpful thing to, to plan what vegetable you're going to have to guarantee you get it in your diet, and then build the accompaniments to match that.
0: Yeah, very true. I mean, the, the first point you made, Cita, was that there's something throughout the country. We do have a 12 months, almost 10 months growing season throughout California. If you really take all of California, there's a 12 months growing season. We don't have that anywhere else in the country or maybe even in the world. That's pretty exceptional, um, our position here. That's true. But there's a, a cultural aspect. I just spent a couple of weeks in Germany and I have grown up there, so I'm used to meat and, and bread, right? Starches uh, or potatoes. It's really classic. The, the The German culture embraces meat because after the Second World War, five, eight years later, when meat slowly made its way into into the German diet, it stood for kind of the peacetime that, you know, the the horrors of the war had, had been overcome in a way, at least economically, and meat became this treasure in a way. And I was shocked this time to see even in June or May when there's wonderful produce available in in Germany that the staples of the German diets are bread and meat. Every day, even my friends who are health conscious and my age, daily at least, big portions of meat. It's uh, So you're right. If you, if you build your diet around vegetables first and then whatever you add, it's such a completely different base at the end of the year mm. of your overall vegetable consumption. Produce always. <laughs> but
1: before we get started, one of the things that I wanted to talk about in the week in review was, as you know, I'm on airplanes all the time and in airports, and I'm becoming a major dog lover as months are passing now. And the other day, I was in the airport and I learned about a new program that's happening in twenty airports around the US and Canada. I happen to be in LAX when I found out about this and it's a new program where they have dogs in the airport and volunteers go in and get trained and they bring their own dog into the airport and then they get they what they do is they walk around the airport and they answer people's questions and the dogs are there. Because right now I see all these families and they have this focused anxiety, right? They're trying to get through security, they're trying to get to the ticket counter they're trying to make sure their flight isn't late. And then all of a sudden you're here and you're kind of in this, like I said, focused anxiety, and then all of a sudden there's a dog.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And there's
1: a dog and a, a human being who's the volunteer who's tending that dog. And the dogs are there to pet or just be there and just it just changes the whole atmosphere of the airport
2: feeling. So this this program that Mark is talking about is called The PUP program which is adorable in and of itself but pop is actually an acronym for pets unstressing passengers, which it's it's brilliant. And and I have a recollection of about 10 years ago, I flew through the Detroit airport, and there was a dog there. He was working. with He was with, with an officer. So he wasn't there to unstress the passengers. He was there working. But he was a beautiful, beautiful shepherd. She, actually. She was a beautiful shepherd. And her name was Asta. And I remember this because we stopped and had a conversation with the officer because this dog just was, it was like a magnet it. she was so gorgeous and he had these little cards that had a photo of Asta oh, on it. it and they were like it. they were like baseball cards that uh-huh. you would trade when you're uh-huh. a kid and it was because people were so interested in having a conversation with him about her but they couldn't necessarily engage with her because she was working and even though she was a working dog when I saw her it got me to slow down and appreciate that there was something bigger going on in this moment than me trying to get to my gate.
0: You know, dogs, we grew up with them as a culture, as uh, mankind developed around dogs. It was maybe one of the first domesticated animals and um, it helped us in hunting and it protected the tribe. and, And now dogs are and of course specifically puppies are used in cancer therapy and to reintegrate and socialize prison inmates and to to you know take on some responsibility and for elder people to address isolation and it's just it's this you know it's this love in a fur ball always works kind of tool <laughs> that, <laughs> that we have and yeah wow wonderful i love that it's an airport great thank you mark for that week's review and we are talking in today's show about the life of pie baking a slice of joy and um, yeah it's an entire show on pie making and we have her here the pie whisperer stay tuned for more <laughs> we'll be right back
4: Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit EarlsOrganic.com.
2: Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F R E Y W I N E.com. And we are
0: back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy.
2: And I'm Sitarani Palomar. I'm
0: Mark Mulcahy. <laughs> <laughs> Our topic today is baking a slice of joy. There are specific foods that we all know as comfort foods. And in addition, we all have our own shortlist, or in Mark's case, a longer list of what makes us feel at ease, makes us feel at home, food that gives us a sense of family and that life with all its ups and downs will be okay at the end. The one thing many of us agree on is pie. And from lovely strawberry rhubarb varieties to savory pies, the world of pie is literally as endless as we make it. To navigate the world of pie, we invited the Pie Whisperer into the studio. A guest who has joined us a few months back when we talked about cake and gluten free baking. With us now, drum roll, is Casey Kaledi here in the studio with us. Welcome to the show, Casey.
2: Thanks. Great to be here.
0: <laughs> it's so great to have you.
2: Casey, we're so happy to have you back to talk about what may be the most important. Favorite dessert of the season. So we're entering the holiday season and the spotlight is really on yes. pie. Why
3: do you think that's the case? Is there a longer tradition of cake rather than pie? Well, I think people have been baking pies for ages and it's just kind of a vehicle for whatever you want to put in it. But I think the reason that this season really speaks pie. because there are so many great options at the farmer's market for pie fillings. There are squashes and apples and everything from butternut to pumpkin and everything in between. It's a really, really good season to bake something hearty and warm. Oh, that's great. That's a good point.
0: That is a good point. uh, Because, Mark, of course, since September, I would think, right, September, October, November, this is where the nation's produce is coming in, really on everything stone fruit. It might have started a little earlier, but really September, October, November is... This is where it's at, right? The produce is phenomenal, peaking. We have a produce special on persimmons today. This is it.
1: It's my personal favorite time of the year for produce because you get the best of, for all the people who are considered as themselves, summer people and us autumn people, get to share both, just everything about the world is right at this, perp- at this perfect time with <laughs> produce.
2: And I know that at a lot of Thanksgiving tables, there are maybe six or more different varieties of pie. Yes. And I think that that's because exactly what you've said Casey there are so many options for what you can fill it.
0: Yeah, when you say with. pie usually people think, you know, strawberry rhubarb, but you're touching on a point that's important to make right away and we will get into that in the in the show more pies are by far not just sweet. Everyone knows of course shepherd pie, which is savory, but there are dozens of other pies in any direction that are loved around the world. Give some examples of where what you've seen, where people can take it, or that you make yourself.
3: Absolutely. Well, I mean, we can all start the day with a pie if we eat quiche. It's a great uh, beginning. It's a nice, hearty, protein-rich breakfast. Caramelize some onions nice and sweet. Toss in something salty. Quiches are great. They're, they're definitely a pie. You can go into your classic fruit pies. Um, for breakfast? Pie. <laughs> yes. Sure, Mark. You can have one for breakfast. Why not? <laughs> I mean, what's the difference between a, a good slice of apple pie and some toast with jam? Yes. You're Sounds speaking our language. <laughs> this, is, this is why Casey's our favorite. <laughs> with
2: his Casey Caletti,
0: the pie whisperer. Um, but Casey, you do bring up something. I, I was not raised in this country. Or maybe actually I was raised, but I wasn't born here. Can you, in Germany, we don't have pies. It doesn't, they don't exist as far as I know. Can you tell me the definition? Like what constitutes actually a pie and what doesn't? You say quiche
3: well, I think to make a pie, there are two components. It's crust and filling. And you can stretch that as liberally as you like. You can go anything from like an empanada or a calzone all the way to a quiche. There are double-crusted pies where you've got, you know, it kind of sealed in there, maybe like a pot pie or something like that, very hearty, open-faced pies. We've got cream pies. You can make raw pies. Endless variations. On what what, is, makes what are the other
0: names? You mentioned quiche. What else mm-hmm. is known that people maybe not... Identify right away as a pie, but actually, technically, is a pie. So we have quiche. Um, and have... what
2: about what about tarts? Are tarts considered a pie, or is there something fundamentally different about them? I think
3: tarts are like a uh, a close relative of the pie. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're a little bit more spread out, a little bit thinner. They're the, <laughs> um, the the dish is a lot more shallow. When I think pie, I really think rustic and kind of deep dish. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I bake pie in a cast iron pan, just. Anything like thick and hearty, whereas tarts are a little bit more delicate. Yeah, oh, a that's really foo-foo. clear. <laughs> a bit.
0: We are talking about pies, baking a slice <laughs> of joy on this show, an entire show on pie making right here for the holidays. And we will talk about crust and the best tips of making a really, really great pie, savory or sweet this holiday season with us. The Pie Whisperer, Casey Caletti. We'll take a quick break, but stay tuned for more.
2: Spicely Organics offers more than 200 different organic spices and dried herbs to choose from. Classics like oregano and cumin, exotics like aji amarillo, and blends like tikka masala. Spicely helps nourish your body while embracing sustainable, eco-friendly, and ethical practices always. Take wellness into your own hands and creativity into your own kitchen. Spicely Organics. Teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at spicely.com.
0: And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Hellberg. I'm Mark Monkehi, And
2: I'm Sitarani Palomar.
0: Our topic today is baking a slice of joy, the life of pie for this holiday season, the ultimate comfort food that Mark actually describes as love. With us in the studio is pie whisperer Casey Caletti.
1: So Casey, you were talking about how it starts with crust and filling. And we've all had pies that... Have had crusts that didn't live up to what they should be. It's
3: true, and uh-huh.
1: so <laughs> yes, we did. And it and it is such a disappointment. So let's start with crust. You know sure. what makes a good crust? What are the common mistakes people make when they're trying to make crust? Let's just let's, let's get everybody started with a really good foundation here.
3: Of course. So to start, everyone and their grandmother has the perfect pie crust recipe hidden away, but the <laughs> basics are really simple. You want to start with ice cold ingredients, especially your fat. So when I make pie crust, my choice, I use butter and I dice it and stick it in the freezer. You want everything to be very, very cold because what you're doing is you're getting little pockets of fat surrounded by flour. So you want to start with very ice cold ingredients, ice your liquids, whatever whatever you choose. I am classic. I use just ice water straight up. But get it going with the cold ingredients and then don't overwork it. What happens when you overwork it, when you mix it too much, you activate the gluten if you're using a flour that contains when gluten. When
1: you say that, you mean like when you're stirring the flour I mean, into the ice water and the fat or when you're mixing it all together? Or, yeah. And would that be in a bowl or would that be, I've never made a pie crust, so I don't know.
3: Well, there are, there are a lot of different ways. Some people use a food processor, which is a totally viable option. You just pulse the fat into the flour and it works very well. Um, I'm old fashioned about it. I take my butter knives and I use them in a scissors like motion and I kind of cut the butter in. And you're looking to get pea-sized or smaller grains of butter, little chunks. Um, and speaking of fats, some people use lard, which can have kind of an animal-y taste. Depending, got to make sure you get a good source, but it produces a really tender, flaky crust. Um, for vegans out there, coconut oil does work. It might take some practice; it's a little bit tricky, but it definitely does work. There are lots of good options traditionally people used to use Crisco because it worked so well. It's not a very health supportive option. And I think with a little practice, you can get a great crust with butter.
2: And the reason for that, my understanding is, you know, you said you want to have little pockets of fat surrounded by the flour. My understanding is that the, the importance of keeping the ingredients super cold is that if you get that cold pie dough into the oven, the second it hits the heat and that fat melts, it actually causes the, str- the gluten strands and the flour that surround it to pop. And that's how you get your flaky layers.
3: Yeah. It's similar to a lot of French pastry techniques. You want that, you want that fat right. to kind of melt of away. Yeah. From, from the flour. <laughs> but oh, really? the interesting yeah. thing is you can still get a very flaky crust without using gluten. Um, gluten-free crusts are delicious. My secret is to use egg as a binder. Egg is a nice, rich flavor, and it's a little bit of liquid, so I usually don't have to add very much liquid back, and it holds your crust together so you don't get that breakage. But you can still use butter and get a nice flaky crumb.
0: So as when we are talking about ingredients, what other gluten-free Alternatives are there in terms of grains and what other vegan options are there in terms of fat that you can recommend?
3: Well, as far as vegan options, coconut oil is the best one I found. It is partly saturated, so it mimics like butter or lard, something like that. Um, and in terms of flour options, similar gluten free flour blends like I talked about last time on the show, you might mix a little bit of sorghum with brown rice. You don't want to use all brown rice, it can be a little bit grainy, but sorghum a nice a nice basic one. And then I always throw in a little bit of arrowroot. The starch really helps with the the texture.
0: And how about the egg substitute? If somebody doesn't want to use eggs as a binder, mm-hmm. is there something vegan that you can recommend?
3: Sure. Sometimes I'll grind flax and psyllium together and put just a little bit of boiling water and it makes this gooey mixture. You've got to make sure that all of your other ingredients are very, very cold so that that, that gooey mixture doesn't warm it up too much. But that works really nicely.
2: Yeah, well, flax, I think, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it holds so much water and it creates that gelatinous structure. So a lot of people in vegan baking or vegan cooking in general will use a flax mix. Psyllium, though, is really interesting because it's not something that people are as comfortable Mm -hmm. working with.
3: Yeah, and and don't be afraid. Psyllium is actually a wonderful vegan binder for gluten-free baked goods. I use it in pizza crusts and in breads and in all kinds of things, and it just that magic combination of those two seeds together, and it's very health supportive. It's got a great it's a great source of fiber. And
2: is there a magic ratio? Because I think it isn't psyllium for some people or if you if you overuse the quantity mm-hmm. of psyllium, it's a little bit hard to digest, but if you use the right amount, like you said it's a great fiber for your Yeah, and it diet. doesn't
3: take much. Mm-hmm. I would say a tablespoon or less for hmm. a whole crust. For a loaf of bread, you might use a tablespoon and a half.
0: How about tapioca? I don't know where that came from, but I'm <laughs> picturing. I'm... <laughs> I love tapioca pudding. I think it's an interesting flavor and picturing if that was able to be ground up. It has kind of a, you know, sticky consistency to it.
3: Yeah. Um, I use tapioca starch in my baking sometimes, but I generally substitute arrowroot powder. I find it's a little bit more easily digestible, hmm. but tapioca starch is a very, it's Viable gluten-free flour. People use it Fascinating.
0: All okay, so frozen ingredients are really, really cold. Everything chilled. Anything very, you very touch, cold. there's no exception. You mix it together roughly. It's not, you don't have to mix it for half an hour. You don't want that actually. No.
3: So first you're going to put your dry ingredients in a bowl. You're going to cut in the butter like we talked about. You can, some people use forks. You can use a pastry cutter. You can buzz it in your food processor if you like. and and then you're gonna add your liquid and mix just until it holds together. And one of the mistakes people often make is using too much liquid. So you wanna do what I call the pinch test. Just put your hands in the bowl and pinch a little bit of the dough and if it holds together, it's done. And if you're concerned about it kind of feeling dry or it's kind of falling apart, you can kind of mound it together on a piece of plastic wrap and use that wrap to kind of push it together and form it into a ball and then stick it in the fridge to chill for a little bit. What about
0: salt and or spices or what do you how do you Those
3: would go in with the flour in the beginning in the dry mixture. Whisk it all in there. Some people put just a little bit of sugar I use unrefined palm sugar, and so it can be a little bit gritty. I'll buzz it in my um, spice grinder, get it nice and fine, and mix it in with my flowers in the beginning. Um, But, you know, we've been talking a lot about pie crusts that are baked, but there are also a lot of alternative options. You can use dates and nuts and kind of chop them up and mash them together and press it into a pan and make a crust that way. And that's Casey
0: Caletti, the pie whisperer, today on An Organic Conversation, an hour dedicated to the holidays for this incredibly family-love, uh, savory, or sweet treat, a pie. You're listening to An Organic
1: Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm still salivating over that date <laughs> and that crust. Mark McCarthy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Sitarani Palomar.
1: And uh, Casey, we'll be right back uh, with
0: more with you when we talk about filling and how to bake that amazing uh, crust so that at the end of the show, we will have a perfect pie in front of us. Uh, but first, here's the produce update the the weekly update of the world of what's going on in produce right from the produce doc with our very own produce expert mark mokihi what's in season mark
1: Well, here we are at uh, What's in Season, and of course on the line we've got Earl Herrick, the voice of the produce market, joining us from Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco, California. And today we get to talk about an absolute autumn treat. It's so great. Mm. Now, there are over 2,000 varieties of these in the world, but we only eat two of them. Earl, what do you think we're talking about?
4: Uh, it's got to be that wonderful, brightly colored... Piece of fruit uh, that heralds another season in persimmons.
1: That's right. I see them hanging all Man. over the trees, and yet we get them in the store, and they're about four ninety nine a pound. Tell us some about persimmons this time of year.
4: Yeah, well, this is the time of year when when persimmons around. You know, it's fall. You know, it's autumn, and they're around pretty much from October to December, maybe January. They grow well in temperate climate out here in California, which produces 99% of them in the country, they're all grown throughout the San Joaquin Valley. But, you know, you can find them uh, anywhere off the coast, uh, backyards. I know I've had a tree or two where I've lived. Um, they're easy to grow. They don't really have any pests or, or fungal problems. And we're in for a great year. We've had a couple little hiccups. Uh, there was uh, about a week or two ago, we had a fair amount of rain. And pomegranates have the same season as persimmons. And pomegranates are very susceptible uh, to problems from rain. So a lot of labor got transferred over to the pomegranates to pick them before they got uh, mm. saturated with rain so there was a little hiccup in production but you know that's long gone but the two varieties you speak about are the fuyu and the Hai Chia. Mm-hmm. and though they share that beautiful color they're different in lots of ways the Hai Chia, which is has been the most popular one up until about 10 or 20 years ago is the acorn shape and it uh it's really a really very deep orange, and it, you can buy them firm, but you gotta wait till they're very, very soft to eat. And when I say soft, I'm talking about jello soft. I'm talking about you can't even believe it could get any softer. And if you eat them before they get real soft, they're going to be very astringent. They're not going to feel right in the mouth. The other variety is the Fuyu, which is flatter. Some people say it looks like a little pumpkin maybe. And you can eat that uh, firm, you know, cut like an apple. It's beautiful if you cut it cross-section. It's very pretty inside. And you can also wait till they're a little soft, but firm, more like an apple. What's the common thing other than the color is the sweetness. They're both off-the-hook sweet. (laughs)
1: <laughs> when, when when they both are ripe, and What's that, Mark? W- when they both are ripe, they're off the hook, sweet. That's and, right. and Mark, how
4: you how exactly. do you get
0: how do you get the one that needs to that's almost like a raw egg, or actually more sensitive than that? Yep. How do you ripen that? What's a, a good idea, Mark?
1: Well, they don't like to be kept yeah. in the fridge, so you want to make sure that you keep them on your counter. But it can take like seven to ten days sometimes for them to get to that place where Earl's talk about that, just a jelly. Any wrong thing. movement and they burst, right? They, yeah, that's where you want them, that's basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, Now, some people, there is a couple of tricks. You can stick them in a bag of rice, and it'll take like three to five days. And so that'll ripen them quicker. And then if you really just can't wait, you can stick them in the freezer for 24 hours, and they will turn like pudding. But many people who I talk to on this, uh, persimmon connoisseurs, say that the flavor isn't exactly as it would be if you allowed it to ripen yeah, on right. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it gets soft and it's sure. good, but it's not going to be as if you allow it to wait. And, and so- really it's worth the wait and just to sit there and watch it on your counter every single day is just uh, well maybe i'm just weird but i i get a thrill out of watching things like that ripen and then creating that anticipation and then being so excited that i just can't hardly stand it when i just get a chance to just open that persimmon up especially the high chias and just slurp that pulp out
4: Well, you know, you can't over—you really can't overstate the texture and the sweetness of that ichiya. And uh, it's, you know, for some people, it's something you've never had before. It's very, very unique, and I highly recommend, uh, you know, giving it that time. You know, I think one of the reasons why uh, the Fuyu is overtaken in its popularity is because, you know, you have to ripen the ichiya. You have to wait. you, You know, you can't have that immediate satisfaction. And some people, you know, then eat them before they're ripe and, and they're too astringent and thus, you know, people don't want to eat them anymore.
1: And, yeah. you know, and you know, the best things in life all are worth waiting for. So yes. And you want to go for that
0: yes, San Francisco are. Giants, dark orange, right? Beautiful. <laughs> That's I, right. It's yeah. Perfect.
4: Perfect time of year just for that. <laughs> you know, there is another thing about the, the persimmon that's interesting, and that is the wood of the of the of, uh, of the tree and the branches. It's very finely grained, and that is used in manufacturing billiard cues, uh, oh, drumsticks, really? and golf uh, and golf shafts. Mm. At least before before they started using uh, titanium and that. But the really fine wood, really finely grained wood is really unique in that that way. And speaking of
0: golf, I know that you and Mark are big baseball fans (laughs) and talking about the color of persimmons this week, the San Francisco orange, beautiful orange, go Giants. We know you love something else, which is the topic of our show this week, which is pies. What is it for you about pies? We do want to end with that question that makes them so special, if you can sum it up in in one really good sentence. What is it about pies?
4: Well, well, one thing, they're a dessert. So... (laughs) right there. It, it's high in the list. But I think when I think about a pie, it's, it's that there's so many varieties. You can do, I mean, even though it's the same shape, you can have incredible amount of different varieties and consistencies. You can have cream pies. You can have fruit pies. You can have nut pies, even meat pies. And I remember uh, a girlfriend years and years ago, uh, when I asked her to uh, bake me a unique pie, she baked me a grape pie. Thompson grapes. Was it great? I'll tell you. Every, it was, the, the grape pie was great. And what was wonderful about that, she would puncture some of them uh, before cooking them, so it released that incredible amount of sugar and sweetness. But also, some were totally intact, and you would take a bite of it, and it would explode in your mouth. How just fun. fantastic. And, I, and I,
1: Errol, I just have one, one thing to ask you. Are you still with right. this person? <laughs> okay, no,
4: I'm not. Between.
1: Okay, we're done. We're done for the we day, don't have to. <laughs> Thank you, we're Earl. We're done with that. Thank you, Earl. <laughs>
2: thanks so much, Earl.
1: Thanks, thanks for being on the show, We'll talk to you next week. Always good talking to you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Oh, Lordy Lord, yes. But Earl is
0: right. There are meat pies, there are cream pies, there are fruit pies, sweet and savory. The world of pie today on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm
2: Sitarani Palomar. And
0: with us is pie whisperer Casey Caletti. Casey, right before the update of the world of produce, you talked about even vegan raw crusts, as we are kind of... Maneuvering our way through the world of perfect crusts. You were talking about what, dates and nuts?
3: Dates and nuts.
0: Sita, you have a big background. How how does that work? Obviously you don't bake those. How do you how do you make it raw? You could,
3: raw? but you certainly don't have to. They really shine as raw food crusts.
2: Yeah, the dates have such a nice creamy texture, and we've talked about that on What's in Season when we've had dates on before. It's like nature's candy that's caramelly kind of texture to it, and when you process it in the food processor with your nuts and it binds together, you can just press it into the shape that you want. And then
0: otherwise, generally speaking, you bake all the crusts that we described before What's in Season, yes?
3: Yeah, a great way to make sure that you don't get a soggy-bottomed crust is to do a little pre-bake. And some people, it's, you know, 350 degrees 5 minutes should do it just slightly golden and some people will put pie weights in the bottom to keep the crust from puffing up sometimes i'll use clean beans like dried beans or something like that works just fine uh, some everyone's grandmother will use so like pre 1980s pennies the copper
0: I'm always torn between, it's so easy, and then that, that, right? You put dry beans as a weight on the bottom of the pie so it doesn't puff (laughs) up. Yeah, sure. Who knows that?
3: It's really genius when you think about it, though. I think it's so resourceful. It is absolutely genius. And, you know, if you don't want to be bothered with those types of things, I'm sure it'll still be delicious. But another little trick that you can do is to create an egg wash. You can um, use just the yolk if you want, or the whole egg if you're want to use the whole thing and just brush it along the bottom. And it'll get a nice little seal on that crust so that it doesn't get soggy when you put your fillings in.
4: How
0: much does the crust making influence or the other way around, if you know what pie you want to make and you, you know, let's say it's a savory one, how does that influence the filling that you will use the crust making? Are you, are you thinking That needs to be a relationship, right? I would think that you use more spices or pepper or more salt if it's a savory filling or less. Like what's the, how does that? Well, the
3: the crust isn't just the vehicle for the filling, as some people might think. (laughs) (laughs) The crust is a great platform, but you can you can toy with it. You can sprinkle in a little bit of cinnamon or add a little bit of sea salt. Smoked salt is a really nice balance for savory or sweet. Like you mentioned, cracked pepper is great. You can sprinkle in some dried herbs. You don't want to go too heavy. You don't want it to compete with the filling, but it can be a really nice complement.
0: Yeah, and sometimes even with the sweet filling, having a slightly savory, little bit heartier exactly. crust might be really nice. And we had a great show on that, on spices, the connection between the Middle East Africa and India and Europe and what we've learned from it as a culture and as a people, the benefits, the history, the uses. And the culture of spices. Yeah,
2: and last August.
0: If you want to look at our archive and organicconversation.com, I think close to 200 shows at this point, August, and a wonderful show on the world of spices. And I think we talked about food making and baking in that regard as well.
2: Well, I think that's where people get, let their creativity and their individualism shine, because then they get to say, well, I really think that what would go great with this is cardamom, or mm-hmm. I want to put some fresh thyme in my, you know, quiche, crust, whatever it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's what keeps people going into the kitchen because they have a little bit of their own personality in what they make.
0: Yes. Wonderful. We want to talk about the filling fillings as vast of a world as your creativity goes. There's sweet, there's savory. What's the golden rule? And where do you, what, what have you done or seen where people go all out?
3: Well, I think most people think sweet when they think pies. And one of the most common mistakes that I see is when people over sweeten their pies, Fruit is naturally sweet and when you cook it, some of the sugars will concentrate. And you really don't need to add much sweetener. Mm. You, you might add a little bit to balance or to enhance, or maybe you want that kind of maple flavor and you put a little bit of that in. But you don't need too much sugar. You want to let the fruit speak. <laughs> Mark Marcus, celebrating. celebrating. <laughs> let the fruit speak. It's true. Well, and some fruit is easier to bake <clears throat> with than others. For a, for a beginner, a classic might be apple pie. But apple pie is a little bit tricky, getting the apples to be just the right amount of soft or firm depending on how you like it. So for beginners, I always recommend a pureed pie. Classics, butternut squash, pumpkin, sweet potato. They're very simple. And don't be intimidated because they're sort of like a custard with eggs in there. They're very simple and they're so delicious.
0: And you use fresh organic fruit, of course, in this case. How about using pre-made jams?
3: It's not something that I do. I always Why? make mine from scratch. Um you don't want all that extra stuff that gets put in there. When I make a pie, I want it to be simple and fruit just showcased. I might I might season just a little bit. I might put a little bit of arrowroot in there to thicken some of those juices that we were talking about, but it doesn't take much. I think that's such a great point
2: that she makes about the sugar because when we we did an episode on jam and she was saying that when you choose really great fruit, the flavor is so fantastic, you don't need to add more sugar. So, and then, Casey, as you were saying at the beginning, you can eat certain pies for breakfast and if it's something that you're not using a lot of sugar and it's not something that you're going to feel like makes you feel guilty or messes with your blood sugar at the beginning of the day because it really is not that different than toast and jam
0: we have an hour on pies here on this episode of an organic conversation right for the holidays we want to hear about casey kaledi's our guest in the studio today about her favorite pie and uh, what you would recommend for this very holiday season when we come back right after the break. This is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Hilbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
2: I'm Rani Palomar.
0: And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned.
2: Produce
3: is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earls Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earls Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com.
2: Spicely Organics' emphasis has long been on the natural health benefits of organic spices. And now, Spicely is excited to share more health benefits with the introduction of their hand-blended organic teas. Choose from black, green, white, mate, oolong, pu'er, and herbals blended with their signature spices like vanilla rooibos, sweet turmeric, and honey lavender. Spicely Organics, teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at spicely.com.
4: me
0: And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
2: I'm Sitarani Palomar.
0: Our topic today is baking a slice of joy, the life of pie. During the last break, I got reprimanded to call Casey Caletti our guest today, the pie whisperer, because she's so much more check her out at chefcasey.com she's really a holistic food Marvin Sita what what did you say what's your what? official <laughs> <It's> Casey, <laughs> what's your official title
3: well I'm an avid alternative baker so I do all different kinds of things I dabble in savory but sweets where my heart is mm-hmm.
0: great yes, yes. case we want to hear more about savory pies during the break you gave us a few really great tips um, but before here's our very own chef Sita Sita Rani Paloma with her holistic bite
2: Thank you, Helga. Well, today I wanted to take a little bit of time to put the spotlight on Arrowroot. And I think I had a, an inkling that our guest today was going to be talking about arrowroot and the wonders of using it in cooking. And arrowroot is a powdered starch that is used as a thickener or an emulsifier to help ingredients really come together, much the way that you would use cornstarch. But the nice thing about arrowroot is that it's not something that has any potential of being genetically modified. Know that there are great alternatives to corn based products, even if you have an allergy or an aversion to using corn in your diet. But arrowroot is a starchy tuber that grows in the tropical regions, and you can find it at any health food store. It's so great to use to thicken things and emulsify things. Like I said, it's flavorless, and it's very easy to digest. In um, traditional therapeutic remedies, people have used it to help soothe the entire digestive system. So if you happen to be suffering from a stomach ache or if you have irritable bowel syndrome, for example, people find relief by adding small amounts of arrowroot to their diet. As an example, you could use it to thicken your jams. We did a show on jam recently. You could use it in soups and sauces or what is very timely in your gravy or your pie filling and the way you use arrowroot is is a lot like the way you use other starches to thicken you want to make a slurry and what that means is you mix the arrowroot with a little bit of cold water and then that way when you add it to the hot liquid you're not going to get any clumping because it's already dissolved so you stir it until your desired consistency is reached and most of the time that's going to be about 30 seconds to a minute and the ratio and quantity that you use will depend on what you're making and how thick you want it to be. With a gravy, for example, let's say you're doing two cups of gravy, making an arrowroot slurry with one teaspoon of arrowroot and two teaspoons of water will probably get you the consistency you're looking for. You can also get something that's a lot thicker and creamier by doing equal parts of arrowroot and water, maybe a quarter cup. I've, I have not gotten into alternative baking as much as Casey is, so really check out her blog to get some tips on how you might get the desired consistency you want with some of these alternatives. Ingredients. But I recommend this time of year, dabble in some arrowroot. It's got great health benefits. It is a wonderful alternative to cornstarch. And that is your Holistic Bite.
0: Thank you, Sita. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
2: I'm Sita Rani Palomar.
0: And with us still is Casey Caletti as we are talking through the world of pies. Casey, we covered crust. We covered sweet ingredients. You had some tips and, and ideas on savory What's, sure. what's the savory filling world like?
3: Well, I think the most classic savory pie filling would be a pot pie. And the trick behind pot pie is making a roux, which is equal parts fat and flour. And it's whisked together over the stovetop and a little bit of liquid. And one of my favorite alternatives is a vegan pot pie filling. I use sorghum flour. And you can throw all different kinds of vegetables in there. It gets nice and creamy. It's a really nice vegan alternative for your Thanksgiving guests.
0: So you use what? What kind of vegetables? Anything? Mushrooms? Anything you can Mushrooms, find?
3: Mushrooms, cauliflower, peas, carrots, whatever whatever your guests like. And you can spice it in, in m- many different ways. You could kind of um, go with a, a curried spice profile. You could go really Mediterranean. And then a roux oh, is what?
0: You use olive oil and that and that blend it together? No. Um,
3: I usually use um, equal parts of fat and flour and whisk it together over the stovetop. Equal yeah. parts, as in weight. As in weight. Wow. As in weight. That's a lot of fat. Roux is a really is a really Rich. classic technique, it's often <laughs> used in Southern
2: cooking. I love the um, pot pie idea for Thanksgiving, and one thing that I think is really underrated and underused, but that I love for my fillings for pot pies is parsnip. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mushroom and parsnip pot Definitely. pie sounds so good. <laughs> and
0: Casey Caletti, our guest today, will put a couple of recipes on to her website. Again, that's Chef Casey with a K, K-A-S-E-Y, chefcasey.com and also inorganicconversation.com forward slash, oh, facebook.com forward slash conversation. If you're not already on there, please join us, Facebook organic conversation. And um, we
2: actually have one of Casey's recipes published on our blog already. She was so kind as to share her gluten-free pie crust with us, I think a year or two ago when we did a summer Yeah, try to find that on galette. Facebook. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you go back and you look for it, this this is the best gluten-free pie dough we'll, I have we'll ever We'll repost that. How's covered. that?
0: We'll repost that. Yes, I'm getting a thumb up from our executive producer. Wonderful. Thank you. Shout out to Kristen back there. Casey, what's the, what's the most extreme pie you've ever made and what's the most favorite pie you would always recommend?
3: Well, I'll start with my favorite. My favorite is a sweet potato pie. It's classic and there are two things that I do to make mine really shine. I add orange juice, which gives it this really interesting character and flavor, a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of tang and fresh nutmeg. Fresh nutmeg, just to take a microplane or um, a little grater and right in the in the mix there. It's really delicious. And I'll post that recipe as well with my <laughs> it, gluten-free pie crust.
2: It's out of this world. I remember when Casey was recipe testing this and I would come into the office every morning and have a bite of her sweet potato pie for breakfast. It is yeah. phenomenal. Well,
0: what's the reason we don't have it here right now? <laughs> <laughs> and what's the most extreme thing you've ever heard of or made
3: well, I have a friend who doesn't eat grains, and we wanted to bake a Thanksgiving pie. So we were experimenting with grinding pumpkin seeds into flour. And I used the dry canister on my Vitamix, and you just grind it really, really fine. And then I found sweet potato flour at the store. Oh, interesting. So, <laughs> really? I keep yeah. smiling. And this was a grain-free, dairy-free, sugar-free pie. We used lard. And we just kind of eyeballed it and threw it together, gave it a quick bake and made a a butternut squash filling. Wow. It was delicious. <laughs> that's one of the things that's
2: most incredible about Casey's cooking. She has a blog feature called Kitchen Impossible because she has so many friends with sensitivities and she will never let anybody go without a celebratory pie or cake for their birthday or holiday. Check out her website, ChefCasey.com for and it is, recipes um, and inspiration. Mission
0: Impossible when we have Casey on the show to fit in the world of flavor and delight in one hour. But what a great job. Thank you, Casey. That was so fun. Thank you. An hour on podcast. Hi here on Inorganic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm speechless. I am Mark Mulcahy. <laughs> and I'm Peter Rodney And again, follow us on Facebook or check out ChefKaseyWitha for recipes on this show. Wonderful job. So wow. Yes, the world of pie. Mark, what's your what's your favorite pie? Well if I, you if you had to name one. Well,
1: <laughs> it goes by month.
0: I knew that was an exception The mark exception Can you
1: ever answer like straight It's apple So I would say So my favorite comfort (laughs) food in life is a pot pie And so that would be a savory Mm. And then I have to go uh, First week of August Peach pie Oh nice Sita how about Mm. you
2: I have a really soft place in my heart For my mom's apple pie she makes super of famous course. apple pie where she piles the apples like a mile high. And she would make it, I don't know, I would say four, five, six of them every single year and give them away to people. And that's just what I'm used to having every holiday for dessert and breakfast as many days as it lasts, which usually is not that many because we have a lot of people wanting to eat it. Mom's mile, mile pie, high apple, apple pie. pie. <laughs> <laughs> that's very great. They live in Denver. Yeah. The <laughs> high city.
0: Helga? I, I'm really more used to the world of quiches, you know, Italy, like a nice, really nice quiche or galette, Um, that's kind of, but this show is produced in San Francisco and we do have Mission Pie. It's a small little corner store in the Mission District using all organic ingredients and that's as good of a pie as I've ever had. They make, you know, the classic rhubarb, they make some savory, but... I had a strawberry pie this summer, and wow. Yeah, fork-stoppingly good. Really phenomenal. Crust and filling. Wonderful. Well, shout, you, shout out to Mission Pie. Good you've work. you never
2: had one of Casey's No, pies. that's
0: right. So it's, I can't really, in full authority, talk about the world of pies on my end. Nobody makes me pie. Oh. So, Casey, the word. It's <laughs> coming. <laughs> yes, good. Well, we that's should all make
2: the sweet potato pie recipe that she's going to put on. That's a great yes, idea. That's, that's a great idea.
1: idea.
0: Then bring it to the studio. Wonderful.
1: And that was this week's sweet and savory edition of An Organic Conversation. (laughs) Thanks for listening.
2: An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger.
0: If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy,
2: and Sita Ronnie Palomar.
0: And we'll be back right here, same place, same time next week. See you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.